homelessness. In January 2020, there were 580,466 people experiencing homelessness in America. And aside from that number, at any given night, there are 750,000 people estimated to be sleeping without a roof over their heads. 50% of unoccupied homeless youth are unsheltered. In America today, 80% of single-parent families are headed by single mothers, and nearly a third of them live in poverty. On top of that, when we, when we look at the, what, they, what they deal with, poverty wages are common among single moms. Most single moms lack any type of paid leave within their job. Affordable child care is often far out of reach, and there are plenty of barriers to education because it is not considered work credits. That's, not a, that's just without saying, women only make up to about 80% of what men make in the same jobs. In the United States, 21% of all children are in poverty, a poverty rate higher than what prevails in virtually all other rich nations. In 2019, there were 34 million people in poverty. Since April 2020, the, sh- the share of children with at least one unemployed parent has consistently remained above reported rates during the peak of the Great Recession. More than four in ten children live in a ho- household struggling to meet basic expenses, and beyond seven million and 11 million ch- children live in households in which they are unable to eat enough because of the cost. Within the past month, tens of thousands of Haitians migrated to the border in South Texas to escape ep- economic turmoil, extreme poverty, and natural disaster. Remains of 227 migrants found last year, while at least 7,000 have died along the U.S.-Mexican border since 1998. An experiment carried out in Chicago and Boston during 2001-2002 shows that resumes with white-sounding names, whether male or female, were much more likely to result in callbacks for interviews um, than, worse, or, or, than were with black-sounding names, even when the resumes were otherwise identical. I could keep going. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by injustice? The brokenness in our world, the shortcomings within our nation, the things that hold people down within our city. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by injustice? And overwhelm can look a lot, a lot of different ways. Overwhelm can look like just being, feeling like just paralyzed by everything that's going on and not even knowing what to do. Or sometimes overwhelm puts us into action, but oftentimes unhealthy action, trying to fix and correct and change and control. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the injustice we experience in our lives? This morning we're going to kick off a new sermon series for the next seven weeks called The Others, Knowing God Through Helping People. And a big part of this series is that we're going to work through a number of different topics, mostly on the character of God and the ways that he invites us to participate in this character. And what this will lead to for us as a church, for us as Midtown, not only are there ways in which we can take on the character of God and move towards others in our own individual lives, but also us collectively as a church here as we express ourselves in Tower and in Fresno. And Towards the end of this, a couple Sundays before Thanksgiving, we will have a meeting to actually discuss what does it look like for Midtown to move forward towards others from this space? What are the one or two things that Midtown is called to participate in 
here in Tower. Now our theme scripture here, what I want to work through today, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Jesus is talking to a number of people here and he's continuing to express what Jesus and his kingdom are up to in our everyday and ordinary lives. And he says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Like oftentimes after Jesus spoke, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And I love that this is the righteous talking. So the righteous in that day and age would be, day and age would be those people who are from everything seems to be, are doing the right things. They are living the right life. They have a moral life. They are oftentimes religious leaders, actually. They have everything going for them. They are the ones that are determining what is right or wrong in other people's lives. They are the ones that hold power. And Jesus goes on talking to them, and they're like, wait, wait, we didn't do any of this stuff. What do you mean? What, what, what are you talking about? And I wonder how often you and I find ourselves in this situation you and I can actually relate to the righteous, and we think that we're doing everything well. We think we're doing things right. We think we're doing what we should be doing as a Christian, but then we actually, if Jesus would have a conversation with us, we'd kind of be like, wait, wait, hold on. I didn't, what do you mean? I, I've been doing everything right, but I wasn't doing that stuff. How oftentimes do we find ourselves in those shoes? It's a hard question to answer because unless Jesus comes and talks to you about it, we oftentimes don't know. Or right now in this moment, as we hear that Jesus actually confronts the ways that we're living and calls us to more, things can start to be expressed. I think a part of it is that as we look at the life of the righteous, I think a big question is who are we trying to become? What do we spend our time doing? What do we, what do we look for in uh, how others recognize us? What is the, the status that we want to be known for? What is the title that people introduce me as? We can go down and down the list. We can spend a lot of time doing these things, and a lot of it good. Like, I want to be known as a good father and husband. I really do. I want to be known as someone who has good health, and I want to do everything I can to have good health. I mean, you go through the layers and the layers, and there's a lot of good things. But what are you becoming known for in this life with God that you are pursuing? What are you hoping to become more of? And then Jesus continues, after they question the he says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he says again after that, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or in sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So just to grab one sentence out of there, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
Jesus right here just carried thousands of years of, of tradition of who God is and the life that he's inviting us to. The prophets of old, if you look back to the prophets actually entering into the life of Israel and calling them to more, they oftentimes were not confronting the sexual ethic. They were not confronting their marriage ethics. They were not confronting so many different things. They were confronting how they treated the poor. How they treated the least of these. How they treated the marginalized. And with all of the injustice going around, as I know so many of our lives, they know that we care about justice. They know that we care about the marginalized. But my question for us this morning is, how are we going about it? Because I think we can all be broken up into different groups. There are people here who actually lead organizations that are doing the work of justice. That day in, day out are organizing people to actually change the systems in which people find themselves in being oppressed. My question to you this morning, are you doing it because Jesus is there? Are you actually growing closer with Jesus, or has it just become a job? Has it become the grind? Has it become the thing that you do because you feel like you're supposed to? Or is it that you're doing it because that is actually you meeting Jesus? And then for some of us, we care about so many things. We care about all that's going on, and what we want to do is we want to draw attention to it. So we go to social, or we go to rallies, we go to so many different things, and we are just trying to communicate everything that we want out there. And I would ask you, how is your soul this morning? Because if we're doing things for the least of these, and Jesus is saying you're doing this for me, I would believe that we're actually finding Jesus in the things that we're doing for others. Are you actually experiencing Jesus in the work of justice that you are doing? Or has it become one more thing just to share or retweet or plaster everywhere so that more people will just get it? That they will finally figure it out and change? Is all of it riding on your shoulders to change other people in your work of justice? And I think for some of us, these are the things that Jesus has called us to, but I would wonder if you've become Jesus in his place. I wonder if you were the one doing the convicting I wonder if you're the one trying to change and correct and probably more so manipulate and coerce people. And it is a fine line because oftentimes we can justify anything because it's for other people. But who are you becoming in your work? And then there's a whole other layer of us that we're just kind of like, I don't even know about this stuff. I don't know what to do with all these injustices. I do feel massively overwhelmed and there's way too much and the pressure's left and right and I feel like if I do this, it's wrong and I do that, it's wrong. I mean, you go down and down and down. Or maybe you're just... You just don't know what you're for. You don't know what's broken your heart. You don't know what it looks like to step into other people's lives, the marginalized, the forgotten, the oppressed. So I think we're all in a different place in this room. But I guarantee you, wherever you're coming from this morning, you're not alone in that. A couple more things, and then we're going to have a little conversation. The work of justice has been an aspect of God's character from the beginning. And we can work through a number of scriptures that list us out. I just grabbed two. And I just want us to give us a thought here this morning. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19 says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, 
for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Throughout scripture, we kind of see this quartet of the fatherless, the widowed, the poor, the foreigner. And it continues to sum up those who are marginalized, those who are on the fringes, those who are forgotten, those that have been oppressed. And it's so far to say that this is God's character that in Psalm 68 and a number of other places, sing to God, sing in praise of him, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. What an introduction. What, what, a, what a great list to be known for. And I wonder this question in our striving week in and week out, what are you striving to be known for? Like this morning, like to be introduced as Hannah, someone who gives voice to the voiceless. And Jay, someone who comes alongside those without a home to provide them a home. Justin, someone to step into the life of those who are imprisoned to be a part of setting them free. Like how much of our work in the week is just toiling for some things that don't actually lead to the work that God is up to in the lives of others. And man, I'm so guilty of this. You know what fundraising I do in church planning? You know who has money? Not the oppressed. You know the people I want to please to have them write a check? Are the ones with money. I mean, I can go on and on and on in my own life of the areas that I spend so much time. And I'm not saying that's bad. Believe that we're up to so much good and there's people that have money and it's good. Someone once said, if it's green, it's God's. I believe that. I believe we all like to do so much more with our money. And I want to help create a space for that. But then, what are we as a church doing with that? Are we becoming people where like people look at Midtown and be like, man... Those without a home can find a home in this place. Those that have no support raising kids on their own, they can come and be loved and encouraged and supported. I mean, just go down the list on and on and on. Who are we becoming as a church in all of this? So, let's have a conversation. Hopefully that wasn't too depressing and we can come out. Um, Krista Weens is going to come up here. I'm going to grab mute myself before I step in. So a part of this series, um, I want to have conversations with people that are doing things in, in our valley. Um, so each week as we step into a new topic, there'll be a couple Sundays without, a, without having a conversation, um, but for the most part, we, we want to hear about what's going on in our city and some of the people that are, that are practitioners of the work of justice, of mercy, of compassion. I mean, you go down and down the list. Um, and Chris is joining us from Central Valley Justice Coalition this morning. Uh, yeah, some of you know her. Kim, I think, has done some of this work and continues to. Um, I'm in seminary with her and. I think I joked earlier, she's better at it than me, um, gets better grades, and yeah, anyways, uh, I won't beat myself up too much. Our seminary professor nods his head and says yes. Yeah, thanks, Brian, real encouraged. Um, 
But we just want to have a conversation. So let's start off and just, Krista, I mentioned your name and we're in seminary together, but who are you and what's the work of Central Valley Justice Coalition? Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. I am Krista Weens. I am the Education Coordinator at Central Valley Justice Coalition. So Central Valley Justice Coalition is an anti-trafficking nonprofit that has existed in Fresno for 11 years now. It is uh, intentionally faith-based. The mission of the coalition is to partner with the church and the community to prevent human trafficking. So a lot of the work that I do is creating courses and classes. Um, I was thinking this morning, I, I kind of have like one sermon and then I just teach it to a whole bunch of different audiences <laughs> and I adapt it to whoever's listening. That's really I, what I, I do. I dream about that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. you should dream about that. Yeah. That's a good gig. <laughs> just one. Um, so we have classes for healthcare providers and for churches and uh, for youth and a variety of things. We are very much on the prevention side of the issue. So trafficking is a pretty large issue um, covers a lot of territory, and the reality is none of us can do all of it. So we are super grateful to have lots of partners that do other work so that that allows us to focus in on the things that we do well, and we think we do prevention well, and we do partnering with faith communities well. So that's really our heart. Our heart is that the church, the body of Christ, would be the people who lead the way in saying this can't happen here. So I'm really grateful that you all are willing to have this conversation today and help lead that that direction. Yeah, well, thank, thank you for providing it. Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, we hear the word trafficking, uh, and I'm sure all of us immediately just have something come to mind, and I'm guessing there is one broad that's probably more common. If, if I'm just being introduced to the world of trafficking, like, what are a couple things that I just, I probably don't know about that we might be surprised by? Yeah, um, I think probably, depending on how much you've engaged with this issue, um, some of us might be surprised to know that it happens here at all. And if you do know that it happens here, you may have certain neighborhoods in mind. Um, you might think of a certain street or a certain school district or a neighborhood that you think that's probably where it's happening. And the reality is it's happening wherever you are. Wherever you live, there are trafficking victims experiencing exploitation right now. In our city, we have identified over 1,300 victims of human trafficking, both sex and labor trafficking. Um, and that's just the people who have actually received resources and gotten help. Right? So that's just the tiniest fraction of those in our community who are experiencing this injustice every day. Wow. Um, we also talk typically in our culture about sex trafficking. That's what gets a lot of attention. But even here in our community, almost a quarter of the victims who have been identified are labor trafficking victims. We tend to think that's something that happens overseas. And the truth is it happens here. And it happens largely because of us because of what we're willing to spend our money on, because of the good deals that we want to get, and because there is a whole industry that exists to keep us separate from the goods that we buy, so that we don't have to ask the questions, because we get to just walk into Target and buy the thing off the shelf, and we don't need to ask about where it comes from. Can you say more about that piece specifically? And so I, I guess, let me put it this way. How, how could we be, I guess, participating in the negative, you know, the negative things that are happening in a sense, you named a couple there, but even on a broader stroke, like what are the things that we're not aware of um, that if we were to become more aware of, we might better be able to notice these things or even participate in the work of justice around this? Yeah. We are largely a consumer society, not a producer society, which means that we buy the product, but we don't actually have to see how it's made, where it was grown, who, how many hands touched it. Um, and we're actually feeling the impact of that differently right now, right? Because some of us have gone into a store to purchase something and it's not there, and it's always there, and those shelves are always stocked. And suddenly we're realizing like, oh, this product that I'm used to buying, it goes through seven countries before it comes here, and now I can't get it. 
right? So we actually have a unique opportunity right now to start learning about why some of these things are not readily available and what goes on in producing them. Um, but this is my husband, Aaron. Aaron and I first actually encountered the idea of human trafficking. It sounds so silly to say, like, this isn't a new concept, right? But it wasn't something we were all talking about uh, over 10 years ago. And we read a book called Everyday Justice by an author named Julie Clausen, which really talked about the everyday impacts of the choices that we make, the gas that we buy, the coffee that we buy, the clothing that we buy. And that is how we began to say, oh, I, I really genuinely didn't know that I was contributing to this problem. It hadn't occurred to me because I've never had to ask. Um, so I, as overwhelming as that feels at first, and you rightly highlighted that this is an overwhelming issue on a lot of fronts, there are little things that we can start to do. You can start to ask, who made this? Who touched this? Uh, you can intentionally pick one product that you commit to buying for the next 30 days only if you know that it was ethically made. Hmm. Just choose coffee and say, I'm only gonna buy coffee that I know where it was produced and who touched it. And for me, that has opened a lot of doors. I remember being at Target a couple years ago in the chocolate aisle with one of my kids. Um, we have four kids, this is one of them. And um, in, the tar in the chocolate aisle, and one of the kids picked up chocolate and I said, well, we can't buy that one because we don't know if that is slave free. And a woman in the aisle stopped and looked at me and she said, what, what did you just say? And I grabbed another product where I said, this one is fair trade. We, you know, these are the kinds of things that we're looking for. And she said, so you're telling me, and she with her hand, you're telling me all of this is not slave free? Mm -hmm. We don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So I think those conversations open doors and actually have in some cases opened a bigger conversation about what the love of Jesus looks like yeah. in our everyday lives. That's good, really good. Very convicting. Um, I also eat a lot of chocolate, so um, <laughs> convicting on a couple levels. Um, but I'd be curious, so if we, if we look at Fresno right now, um, what are some of the, the infrastructures that are in place that maybe continue to allow or encourage trafficking? Yeah, um, well, human trafficking at its essence is the exploitation of one person's vulnerability for another person's profit. So you listed a whole bunch of them this morning. Got it. All of those vulnerabilities, poverty, homelessness, uh, all the things that we're experiencing because of COVID-19, right? Um, unpredictable lives. It, even as simple as parents who have to go to work and kids who have to quarantine at home, and now what do I do, right? Or the last year and a half where all of our kids were online in spaces where most of us probably would not have put our little kids, but there they were, and their parents maybe weren't there because they had to be providing for their families in different ways. So really, anything that we can see as a vulnerability, someone else can see as an opportunity to exploit and make a profit off of them. Okay. Um, I guess two more questions. One, I'd be curious of, you've been doing this for seven years now? Uh, you said about 10 years ago is maybe when you started to become aware of the, okay. Um, who's Krista become through this work? Hmm, who's Krista become? <laughs> um, I feel like my eyes have been opened. Um, my heart has been softened, has been broken, and in really beautiful ways. Um, I think much of what I'm doing now, I would not have been doing, and I mean going to school, <laughs> uh, sitting up here, um, 
I don't think I would be doing if God hadn't grabbed a hold of me in a way that actually felt really small to say, hey, ask about where your chocolate comes from, right? That's where it started for me. Um, and then just mercifully began to open my eyes to the realities around me. Um, I think our family is different because of it. I think um, we are, are much more empathetic and understanding. Um, we make different choices. And I think we are um, maybe willing to sacrifice things that we wouldn't have even considered <laughs> um, because we can see people that we'd been really trained to not see. That's good. Thank you. Um, what does it look like for a church to participate in this work? It can look lots of different ways. I mean, the fact that you're having this conversation is huge. The reality is most of our churches are not talking about this at all. Um, the language of human trafficking is really not very old. The first trafficking survivor was just identified in 2010 in Fresno. And at that point, she'd been asking for help for years, and nobody knew how to get it to her because we genuinely didn't know human trafficking happened. So the fact that churches are saying, hey, this is a thing that we should pay attention to is really significant. In fact, I went to, uh, sorry, rabbit trail, but I went to Central High School last week and uh, all three of their campuses and stood out there talking to students. And I was struck by the fact that when I started doing this seven years ago, I would stand up in front of groups of high school students and none of them had any idea what human trafficking was. We would have to try to find different language to help them understand it. And there I was with a board that said human trafficking and all these kids are like, oh, we don't want that, we wanna stop that. Like, they knew already. So the conversation piece is huge. Just acknowledging that it is happening in our community, in your neighborhood, that's a big piece. Um, there are a lot of things that we can do. I mentioned already uh, thinking about where our purchases come from. Um, we can be having conversations with our young people and with families to help educate them about what online safety looks like because the reality is a lot of trafficking is happening online right now. Um, that also means for some of us, it means evaluating our own online activity and being real about that and asking for help if that's something that we need because we know that trafficking and online exploitation, they go hand in hand. Mm. Um, so those are conversations to have. We can also be safe places for people who have been abused. Mm. That might mean becoming more trauma-informed to understand what trauma looks like so that we can respond in ways that are compassionate and merciful and probably require us to give up something. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, Every church is impacted by abuse, whether we know it or not. It may be trafficking, it may be childhood sexual abuse, it may be other forms of domestic violence, right? The, the truth is this is a reality for almost a quarter of the population. So if we can be a safe space for people who have been hurt, uh, that reduces vulnerabilities. Um, anything that we do to reduce the vulnerabilities that you talked about, so helping a single mom, mm -hmm. getting a kid to and from school, mentoring, um, going out on Belmont on the last Friday night of the month and connecting with women who are out there and just being a faithful presence. Mm -hmm. Th these are all things that really matter. Our organization, one of the things that we do is that we mentor, we have two youth advocates and we're building a volunteer team as well to mentor youth who are at risk. They've not yet been exploited, but they've experienced something that puts them at significant risk. Most of them come to us through the Department of Social Services. They're living in group homes or they've gone through the Juvenile Justice Center. They've had trauma. And what they really need is an adult who is stable, who will connect with them on a weekly basis to say, first of all, 
here are the things that we know, right? And we want to make sure that you know them. And secondly, what are the things that you know that I need to help you with, right? What can I learn from you? Um, So that's a significant thing. Mentoring is huge. I mentioned that we're on the prevention side. There are plenty of people who do work on the response side. Um, There are homes for survivors in our town. There are places for learning job skills. There are lots of different ways. And one of the biggest things that you can do is pray. I think we downplay that a lot, but Central Valley Justice Coalition started as a prayer group. It started as a group of people who said, something's going on, and we just really need to meet intentionally to pray about that. And out of that, after a year of praying, someone said, I think maybe we're being called to something else in addition to this. But prayer is still at the heart of what we do. Um, There's a table in the back here today, and there is a prayer guide on there. I encourage you to take it. Stick it on your mirror or on your dashboard or in your office, someplace that you can see it, and just pray with us. There are genuinely things that cannot happen if the Spirit of God is not involved. We have seen strongholds. I don't know how to explain a lot of things that we have seen, but I do know that we are joining God in His work. We need direction to move into the places that He is moving, um, and and we just need spiritual coverage for some of those things. Yeah, amen. Um, well, last thing, can we pull up the the slide for the little uh, the dealio you got coming up? The dealio. You want to, you want to explain that? I would and love then, to explain and then that. And people can come to the table after they want to. Yeah, yeah, not that slide, oh, but uh, close. <laughs> that there one. we go. That's the one. So I mentioned this need for churches to address abuse. Um, The realization came to us because we work with so many survivors who are connected to faith communities and have had a variety of experiences there, right? Some who um, have really healthy, life-giving experiences in church, others who have been abused in church, others who feel really wary of church spaces, right? And a lot of times, church communities just aren't having these conversations. Um, And in the worst case scenarios, we actually are blind to the abuses that can happen within our spaces. So as we have advocated and as we have felt like God is really calling us to work with faith communities, in the last two years, we've been really um, aware that we don't think we can continue to make a, a difference as a global church in this conversation if we don't acknowledge the ways that we are sometimes holding the movement back, that we are contributing to abuse um, knowingly and unknowingly. So out of that has grown this webinar that will be on Monday, October 11th, and then again on the 18th, two parts, an hour and a half each, pretty simple. If Monday doesn't work for you, you can register and receive the recording afterwards. But the first part will be with Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. Uh, They've written a book together called A Church Called Tove, and it is about creating a church that has a goodness culture. Mm. And what they do is they evaluate churches that have experienced abuse, and they recognize patterns, and then they help us pay attention to those so that we can do it differently, that we can be the people that God has called us to be. Um, So that'll be the first week. The second week will be very practical with two different ministries who will talk about policies and practices and being survivor-focused and and things like that. Um, But I think it's a really important conversation for our community to be having right now, and I'm actually just really excited about the the possibilities that this opens up for us. Yeah, love it. Excited for you. And then, yeah, so you can grab more info on the way out um, around that. We'll kick an email out before then, too. Why don't we do this? Can, I, can we pray? Please. Um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah.
So just join me in prayer. Father, I just, I thank you for Central Valley Justice Coalition. Um, thank you first and foremost uh, for your work of justice, uh, that just from the beginning through the end, that it is your character and what you are up to um, that we get to accompany you on. And we just thank you for that invitation, and I thank you for the unique way that Central Valley Justice Coalition has picked up that invitation. Thank you for Krista and Ryan and their team, um, and all the people uh, just present to the work of human trafficking, um, the injustice that it is, the, the, the beauty and the redemption and the reconciliation that can come from the work of your spirit and your church. Uh, continue, I just pray that that continues through the Central Valley Justice Coalition. The preventative work that they are doing, I know oftentimes you do not see how many things actually stop. But I pray that there continues to be other measurements that are encouraging them to continue in this work. Because I think the realization is, I am sure there has been so much prevented through the work that you're doing. Um, and I know sometimes that gets to be celebrated, but uh, may the, the celebration of all the times that something's been stopped, I pray that that is just an encouragement in Chris's heart right now. That there's just a spirit of just, good job, continue the work that you're doing. And may there continue to be a peace about it, God, that, that you are the one doing the work, you are the one moving forward, and that they are just opening up their hands and stepping forward with what you are doing. So may they, may they continue this work from a place of peace. And I just lift up our valley, I lift up our city, I lift up Tower. Um, may Midtown, may we as a people continue to become more aware uh, of how we participate in human trafficking day in and day out. And may we become more aware of how we both can step into preventative action um, and also responsive action. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I thank you for Krista. I thank you for her heart. Uh, who is she, who she has continued to become through this. Um, just thank you for the work that they are up to here in our valley. Uh, may you continue just to bless the hands um, that are at the plow. Uh, so just bless her. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Krista, thank you very much. Thank Please you. thank Krista for being here this morning. Well, hey, why don't we stand? Oh, actually, you know what? Sorry. Oh, sit. Don't stand yet. You guys would have been standing for too long. Um, now let's go back to that slide that no one's going to be able to read. Um, and that's okay. You don't need to read it. But this gives you an idea. This is, uh, it's called surffresno.org. If you're like, man, I don't really know what to do, but I want to do something. Um, or like, I mean, I've been doing some stuff and it hasn't really been aligning, but like there's something. This is almost like 75 organizations here in Fresno on the surfresno.org website that would love your participation. Central Valley Justice Coalition is one of these on this list. Um, and I think this can be a place to start just saying like, you know what? For some reason, God, I'm going to go to this list. I'm going to pray through it. Will you speak to me of what you want me to participate in? And then just show up and, and see what happens. Um, and I just want to encourage that. So from here, one action step you can take is that. Um, secondly, we can now stand and we'll go into ministry time and some prayer and we can respond that way. So um, why don't we go ahead and stand? And I want to finish with this. So Jay Pathak, this is one of my more recent favorite stories I've heard. Jay Pathak is our, our um, he's been a pastor in the vineyard for a long time in Colorado. He's now our, our national director starting in January. And last time I was with him, he told a story and he didn't give the details of how he ended up in this position, um, which I'm really curious of now. But he and 12 other people ended up in a room with the Pope um, on two different occasions now. Again, it's like, yeah, just another Thursday. Um, and they're hanging out with the Pope, the current Pope, and they're having a conversation. And they just asked, like, how has it been? Like, what was the process like? All these different things. And the Pope says, 
When I was selected, when I've stepped into this, it's been the most terrifying thing I've ever entered into. I can remember after saying yes, what happens is before they kind of walk out to the big balcony and they do the white smoke, you know, all the different things, there is a room called the Room of Tears. And this is where the Pope gets ready to eventually walk out and see everybody. And there's a bunch of different robes. I know they're called something else, but, uh, you know, you kind of get ready there and things. And it's called the Room of Tears because oftentimes they are flooded with emotion. And they, they, they realize that they're stepping into something that they cannot do on their own. That they are now saying yes to something that is so much bigger than them that they just, they can't do it. And he said, it is the most terrifying moment I've ever had in my life. And I, like, just, like, in my life, like, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I can't. He gets dressed, wipes the tears from his face, and there's this long hallway of all the other bishops from just different countries all over the world. And they're just all lined, and it's a long hallway before he enters out to the balcony. And they're all quiet. No one's supposed to talk. It's not like a high five or like a game tunnel or anything like that. Like, it is a pretty solemn experience, right? And he's walking, just terrified. Tears are still streaming down his face. And about a third of the way up, one of the bishops steps out in front of him like he's not supposed to. He puts his arms around him, and he whispers in his ear, remember the poor. That's all he says. And the Pope said, from that moment till now, I felt God's spirit enter my body from head to toe. And I have not been fearful of what God's calling me to for a single moment. And then so he just shared that with this whole table of people. That whatever you're up to, whatever you're stressing about, whatever you're worried about, whatever you're falling short in, whatever it is, just join the work of God in remembering the poor. And you will experience the peace of God in it. Because it is the work to the poor that is the work that we do in relationship with Jesus. And that is his beautiful and wonderful invitation to us to enter into things that we can never do on our own. And I think that's the challenge for us as a church right now. As we've been gathering, as we've been coming together, as we're learning more about who we're becoming and what God might be calling us to, how are we going to press into this neighborhood, into this district, and remember the poor? And I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited for us, and I'm so excited for the peace and the love and the mercy. There's so many things that will come from this. So can our hearts be open? Can our minds be open? Can our hands be open in these next seven, eight weeks just to let God stir us for something new? New to us, at least. Join the work that he's always been doing.